Fernando Tatis will start the year in the big leagues. Justin Upton won't. What can it all mean? I'll ask Jock Thompson of BaseballHQ.com next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 29th. It's show number 15 of the 2019 fantasy baseball season and our first show of the regular season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Friday news and comment edition for you. We'll have Jock Thompson doing double duty this week with player news from the National League, including Fernando Tatis Jr., Steven Souza Jr., and several National Leaguers who aren't juniors. And news from the American League, including injuries affecting the A's and Angels, some player movement in Toronto, and more. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the frequent flyer, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky discusses Miami starting pitcher Tehran Guerrero. And in Masternotes, I'll talk about... Ooh, that was close. It's another big Friday news and commentary edition. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Kike Hernandez and Colton Wong are on pace to hit 324 homers. We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, both Kike Hernandez and Colton Wong hit two home runs in their opening day games, putting them on pace to hit 324 home runs for the season. Some other players also had two swats in their first game, Hernandez's Los Angeles teammate Jock Peterson and Javier Baez of the Cubs. Me, I'll take the under on even a 300 home run season for any of them. I'll even give you odds. And in the first inning of this Friday news and comment edition, our Market Watch Player News reports, Harold Nichols is taking a break this week with some grandkids at Disney World. Personally, I think the grandkids go down there to keep an eye on Nick while he hits the rides. So pinch hitting for Nick and doing double duty this week, BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock will have his usual American League report in just a few minutes, but leading off, it's the National League. And Jock Thompson, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Jock, welcome back to the show. Hi, PD. Good to be here. Happy post-opening day. Yes, it's been an interesting start so far. I'm sure we'll have a chance to talk about some of the big developments. Uh, let's start in San Diego, where the rebuilding Padres, even before the season started, raised some eyebrows by announcing that super prospect shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. will make the team and start on the big league roster. You cover San Diego for playing time today and the division and so forth at BaseballHQ.com. So I have two questions for you. And the first one is, why are the Padres starting Tatis's service clock when they certainly don't look like any kind of contender and they could save some serious future money by holding him back until May? Well, you know, this is going to sound funny, and, and I've written a little bit about this, or at least inferred it in some of my uh, playing time today columns, but Tatis is simply the best shortstop that they have right now. They were talking about putting uh, Julio Arias there earlier in the season. Arias is a second baseman. He's their second baseman of the future. He can play a passable shortstop, but he had hamstring problems at the major league level last year, and he was having them again in spring. Uh, I can't believe that shortstop helped him get over that. And more importantly, uh, 
Urias wasn't hitting as well as, as uh, Tatis was. His, he started off well this spring, uh, uh, but he, he began to slide a little bit. Uh, Tatis is just the guy, and, and San Diego knows it. I think they're trying to curry maybe some goodwill. I wouldn't be surprised in this era of extensions, contract extensions, if they extended Tatis sometime early in the season. So it, it's going to be an interesting first couple of months. Well, it is to their credit that they're using their best option right now, Jock, unlike a lot of other teams, <clears throat> Blue Jays. <clears throat> but more importantly, now that Tatis is on the big league roster, what can we expect of, from him as a fantasy producer? Well, we got to remember that this kid just turned 20, and he's been playing at high levels, higher levels than his age uh, throughout his short minor league career. Um, as most people know by now, he has a history of struggling as he gets promoted levels. Uh, first month or two, um, he... Um, have, he he has had issues. He did last year at Double A. Now he's leapfrogged two 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 levels. He, he hasn't played in Triple A yet at all, and now he's playing in the majors. So it wouldn't surprise me if he if he slumped a little bit early on. If he struggled to get his feet under him, uh, his contact rate is around seventy percent. Um, but if if um, the past is prologue, uh, he should get his feet under his ground by the end of the season. And it wouldn't surprise me if he. Um, put up double-digit home runs, double-digit steals, and maybe a 240-250 batting average. Yeah, I remember in 2017 they they dumped jumped him up to double A, and his OPS dropped by 270 some points. And then when he got back to San Antonio in double A last year, 862 OPS, 16 homers, 16 stolen bases in less than 400 at bats. So he does seem to be able to make these adjustments. But Jock, the biggest adjustment of all is is from triple A to the major leagues, much less double A to the major leagues. He's got a, a tough road ahead of him. Yeah, agree. And, I, and I'll issue, issue a disclaimer here. He's been one of my favorite players to watch in the Cactus League for the past two years. The thing that I noticed about him immediately the first time I saw him is just the athleticism and the presence and the baseball instincts. He showed it again yesterday in his debut. He got two hits, and then he laid down what was a beautiful bunt that just caught everybody by surprise. And with this great speed that's pretty stunning to see when he, when you're talking about a 6'3", 6'4", guy, um, he beat it out. Uh, I I think he's going to be valuable. He, he obviously his best years are ahead of him. It's not going to happen this year. Um, but if you're a keeper league owner, you keep this guy. He's going to be a really good player. Yeah, and I expect, as you said, that uh, Urias will also be part of San Diego's future, especially if they can or when they put him back into his more natural position at second base. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Urias probably has a little bit of. Um, uh, seasoning left. Uh, it does not surprise me at all that he's getting more minor league time, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see both of these guys starting for San Diego come August and September. Baseball HQ is currently projecting Tatis for just over 400 at-bats at the big league level, 15 homers, 13 steals, and a two forty two batting average. And uh, from what you say, Jock, he could easily bump that batting average a few points just by bunting for occasional hits or legging out some infield grounders. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that's a good projection. It's a reasonable projection. Um, I think there might be a little more upside to it or maybe even a little more downside, but uh, I think we're in the ballpark. It wouldn't surprise me to see to for him to uh, hit 250 and, and, and hit 20 home runs. It wouldn't surprise me to see Tatis back in the minors for three weeks as well. So um, there's, a, there's a small range here. And again, uh, it, it reminds us that, it, that one season, particularly for a 20-year-old in his first season in, at the major league level, it's a small sample. 
Some unfortunate news coming out of Arizona where presumed right fielder Steven Souza Jr. is going to miss the entire year. He tore up his knee pretty badly in a spring training game. Rob Carroll covers Arizona for playing time today. What happens with uh, Steven Souza Jr. out for the year? Well, you know, this injury occurred literally minutes after the Diamondbacks placed backup outfielder Socrates Brito on waivers. So he might figure into the mix uh, if he clears waivers. But it's no sure thing. Um, if he gets claimed, then Keta Marte is almost a lock for center field. He's backed up by Jared Tyson. And Baseball HQ has already bumped up uh, Mar- uh, Marte's playing time projection by 10%. Um, the roster shuffle could also open a spot for Ilmaro Vargas, who impressed in spring training at 367 with only three strikeouts and 60 at-bats. So um, the rebuilding Diamondbacks have options. They may not necessarily be great ones. Well, speaking of which, uh, the Diamondbacks also signed former longtime Baltimore outfielder Adam Jones in the offseason, and I've read he's going to pick up some playing time as well, even though he's a center fielder by trade, and Arizona, as you said, has Ketel Marte inked in there. Adam Jones moving to right? Yeah, that's what it sounds like, and we've bumped him up by 45%, close to full-time at bats in right field. Uh, Jones played right field in 39 games last year, so he's not foreign. And again, this this is a rebuilder, so anything can happen here. Um, they're going to be moving players in and out. Uh, Arizona is going to be an interesting team to watch if you're looking for playing time opportunity. Yeah, and it, the playing time opportunity could be guys we don't even know about yet or that are floating around in free agent pools. Uh, Adam Jones makes an interesting figure in a in a rebuilding situation he's 33 years old now and we know that his paydays are probably behind him as far as fantasy concerned at his peak he was a high 20 dollar low 30 dollar type of guy combination of power and speed uh but his playing time and production jock have been in slow decline over these past five seasons but his skills are still worth a look yeah, um, and he's and like you said, uh, at least for now in the early season, it looks like he's going to get the at bats, and and he has produced in the past. So if you need an outfielder in a deeper league, I mean, why not? I mean, give give him a shot. He's 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 going to be in the lineup more often than not, probably in April and and part of May. And we already have him projected to have uh, sort of 500-ish at-bats, $13 earner with 15 homers, 50 to 60 runs and RBIs, just five stolen bases. He used to be more of a bad guy, but we're giving him a 270-ish sort of batting average. You could do worse. Now, you said Jones is 33. Uh, I'd have guessed 36 or 37. He's been around a long time. Yeah, he really has been, and he's been pretty healthy too. So um, um, I don't think he's been on the, the injured list during this time at all, so... Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation for him. If he stays healthy, he's going to play. Now we have to classify the Souza injury as a surprise, but almost as surprising was just a team decision. The Diamondbacks announcing that right-hander Greg Holland will be named uh, the team's closer to open the season. Uh, Rob Carroll once again on the story from Arizona for playing time today. And Jock, I know Holland has had some success as a closer, but not so much in the past few years. What am I missing here? Yeah, you're right. At his peak, I mean, Holland was great, but but this isn't his peak, and he hasn't been great recently, not in the past uh, year and a half. Uh, he struggled in St. Louis, 4.56 ERA, 2.24 whip, and a walk rate, uh, <laughs> almost uh, eight walks per nine innings. He he got his feet under him a little bit at the end of last season. He posted a, a, a 2.97 ERA and sub one whip while he was with Washington, I think, for a couple of months. So, Maybe he rebounds here, but uh, he's he's a, a lot less of a sure thing than he used to be. 
He was a sure thing. I think uh, three years with Kansas City and, uh, and a year in Colorado, he had like average 40-some saves per year, which is really getting the job done. But here uh, they're looking for a bit of a rebound, as you say. But this spring, his ERA was over 9, his whip was over 170, his strikeout rate under 8 strikeouts per 9 dominance. What is Tori Lovello thinking here insofar as he seemed to have better options with Archie Bradley and uh, maybe even uh, Hirano? Yeah, it seems like they really want to keep Bradley in that uh, high leverage, multi-inning, uh, uh, many appearance uh, uh, role uh, just preceding the closer. Uh, apparently, the team is, is kind of recognizing that the ninth inning isn't that big a deal if you can't get through the seventh and the eighth, the sixth and seventh and eighth, depending on when the, the more important points in the game are. Um, and I think they want to use its best bullpen, the, the Diamondbacks want to use their best bullpen pitcher when they can do the most good, which seems to be the the trend nowadays. It's hard to fault them for that. And what about Yoshihisa Hirano, who might also be an upgrade over Holland based on skills? Yeah, no, you're probably right. Uh, um, Hirano got 32 holds last year. He compiled a 2.44 ERA, 3.81 expected ERA. While in 75 games last season, let's put it this way, this isn't a solid situation. It's volatile, and if Holland scuffles, loses some games, blows some saves early in the season, we're going to see a bullpen by committee or an outright change. In Los Angeles, the Dodgers manager Dave Roberts said that infielder-outfielder utility man Enrique Hernandez, popularly known as Kike, will in fact be the team's primary second baseman for 2019. You've talked about uh, Kike Hernandez in the past. You like him, uh, but it still seems like a bit of a surprise. You cover the Dodgers for playing time today, Jock. Uh, how surprised should I be at this turn of events with Kike Hernandez taking a regular role? Yeah, I don't think it's much of a surprise at all to those of us on the West Coast who's been able to watch this team and watch these two players. Uh, Hernandez has been on the upswing since last year. Taylor has been on the downswing, particularly with strikeouts in the second ha half. The only thing that saved his year last year was a 38% hit rate, and I don't think he's going to do that again. Um, he had 20 strikeouts in 56 at-bats this year and a 214 um, batting average all in the Cactus League. So this could be coming... This could be becoming a, a, an ongoing problem. Uh, I, I knew Hernandez was going to play. Um, we thought it would be in his super utility role um, all over the field, which obviously would add to his value. Um, we haven't changed Hernandez's overall per projection, playing time projection. It's still around 80%. But Taylor's going to lose 10% because he doesn't have a position. He wasn't in the lineup on opening day. And as far as offensive production, Hernandez matches Taylor power-wise. I think he hit a, a couple of home runs yesterday uh, in the opener. And his play uh, skills are on the upswing, unlike, unlike Taylor's. Our projection for Kike Hernandez at BaseballHQ.com is for 22 home runs, just short of 500 at-bats, a two fifty seven batting average, and a handful of steals. Not a bad get. No, no, you're right. And uh, uh, this is what we saw last year. Uh, Kiki, he, he changed his plate approach a little bit, uh, does, does, does a few things differently at the plate right now, and that's what has, has, has produced the power hike. Um, he's doing it again now at the beginning of the year. So I'm all in on Kike Hernandez. Two homers, as you said, on opening day, of course, there's the Tuffy Rhodes problem where, you know, you don't think it's going to be the only two home runs he hits all year, that's for sure. Uh, in Cincinnati, the Reds' second base prospect, they were trying to convert him to the outfield. Nick Senzel left a minor league game. He was sent down, then got an ankle injury earlier this week. Uh, the x-rays were negative. They were supposed to have an MRI scheduled. 
But at the same time, Jock, there's kind of a political situation brewing here with Nick Senzel. He was publicly critical of the team for sending him down in the first place. He said they were just trying to pooch him out of some service time. And then on top of everything else, second baseman Scooter Jeanette is going to miss two or three months with a groin injury, seemingly opening up a spot for Senzel possibly. But apparently that's not going to happen. Tom Kephart covers the Reds for playing time today. What the heck is going on in Cincinnati? Yeah, well, this is the this is what you expect to see. It's it's the anti-Padres. The Padres are kind of the exception. Um, I don't think anyone's surprised that the Reds will manipulate uh, Senzel's service time. That's how the business works. Between the injury and the publicity, we can expect his eventual promotion to be further delayed. Uh, they'd already shifted the lifelong infielder center field, hoping he could provide better defense than the other alternatives. Um, which also, while also getting his uh, his bat into the lineup, but with the injury, uh, Scott Shebler likely gains an extended leash in center field. Matt Kemp gets some additional playing time when uh, when outfielder Jesse Winker spells Shebler in center. Shebler has pretty good power. Uh, 30 home runs in 2017. He was hurt last year. Shoulder injury kind of curtailed that in uh, 2018, and his expected power index dipped considerably. But he still looms as a potential 25 uh, home run hitter, 250, 260 batting average if he can win a starting outfield role and remain healthy for the full season. Meanwhile, if they're not going to use Nick Senzel at second base, what are they going to do about the Jeanette situation? Well, they called shortstop Jose Iglesias from the minors, and the bet is that he'll take over some at short, and uh, Jose Peraza will slide to second base. Uh, Iglesias is a pretty good, pretty good defender. Um, he's borderline rosterable in 15, uh, 15 mixed uh, fantasy leagues. Uh, we're projecting uh, three home runs, six stolen bases, and a two fifty three batting average in about 250 at-bats. Tom Kephart did point out that Iglesias has had some leg injuries that have slowed him down. So Derek Dietrich was also recalled, and he could see some playing time. He actually hit a three-run homer yesterday to win the game. So um, Derek Dietrich's still kind of interesting for from a left-handed bat off the bench if he could get 250, 300 at-bats. Okay, Jock, thanks for helping us out this week with the National League update. While Nick is off at Disney, uh, we'll have you stay and do your usual beat report from the American League now. And let's start again on the West Coast in Oakland. The A's had an awful opening couple of days in Japan, dropping two straight to the Mariners. And even worse, they had two pretty important injuries. Uh, fractured hamate bone knocks, first baseman Matt Olson out of action until at least mid-May, maybe later. And then even more ominous, uh, starting pitching prospect Jesus Luzardo. And they had big plans for Jesus Luzardo. He's out at least six weeks with a rotator cuff strain. Rotator cuff strains are never good news and often are more than six-week injuries. Oakland picked up Kendris Morales from Toronto by trade to fill in for Olsen. Rod Trusdell covered the Morales angle for playing time today, but there's a whole bunch of info to parse here, some tea leaves to read, and I know you cover the American League West for playing time tomorrow, our roster analysis space. Tell us what you're seeing with uh, Oakland with all of these moves and changes. Well, I think Oakland can survive uh, the loss of Matt Olson. Uh, they've got a very deep offense, and, and Morales can still offer decent production. And, and the A's depth, even before the acquisition, was very good. But from a fantasy perspective... The situation raises all kinds of questions and scenarios for the players involved. Uh, first off, this kind of injury has never proven to be a quick heel for power hitters like Chapman, whose output could now be 
really significantly reduced in 2019. Uh, he may not recover all that home run power he has until maybe the end of the year, or maybe not until 2020. Uh, Morales moves from Rogers Center. Uh, Oakland's a, a much less friendlier venue, even though Rogers Center hasn't played as well for home runs in, or, or last year than it did the year before, the, in years before. He's a 36-year-old free agent who really shouldn't be on the field with a glove anymore. We thought he would lose second-half playing time in the Toronto rebuild, and now that he's been dealt to a team that has a solid DH in Chris Davis, his playing time actually becomes tenuous when Olsen returns. I look at this a little bit differently than, than Rod. I, 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 I like Morales. Uh, I, I, I think he could... Um, uh, um, do well in Oakland, but I also think his playing time is is risky going forward, beginning now. Yeah, they're uh, kind of caught in a, between a rock and a hard place. They have Chris Davis and Morales, who are both pretty good DHs and pretty not-so-good fielders. Is Chris Davis actually a worse fielder in the outfield than Morales would be at first base? Yeah, that's a really good question, and the other problem, he, he's not good in left field, that's for sure, and he's, and he's comfortable at DH. I mean, all you have to look at is, is at his output over, the, over recent years, and in left field, uh, Oakland doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have great shakes in left field, but they do have um, Chad Pender um, coming off the bench as an outfield, infield utility, and this is a guy whose skills are growing. This is a guy I could see who could get 400 at-bats and really become valuable for the A, so I think this is this is Morales' biggest threat if they decide to put Pender in left field and, and put Davis back at DH when, uh, when Matt Olson comes back. Oakland also announced that Franklin Barreto would get Chapman's roster spot and be the beneficiary of some at least semi-regular playing time with Jurex and Profar and Mark Canna sharing first base. Uh, you're a fan of Barreto, and this seems like something that is impeded by the Morales signing, but you're still uh, a little bit... Uh, on the side of Morales not hitting the ground running, not producing right away, he could, he could be the one that loses the playing time. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on the fence of Morales uh, hitting the ground running. I mean, let's face it, uh, Oakland isn't a friendly place for hitters, but Morales could do well for a, for a couple months. He's 36 years old. Um, he has more ups and He's had more ups and downs over the past three years than, uh, than he did, obviously, earlier in his, in his career. I like Barreto a lot. Uh, I think he made improvements last year. I, I think he had a, he had a really good spring. On the other hand, uh, I've also been one of those who thought Barreto has been rushed through the minors at an early age. I see the A's thinking on this. I would I want Barreto to play every day to see to see how he's doing. But it would not shock me to see Barreto push his way into the lineup sometime midseason, and, and that's another risk to Morales. Jock, over the years, I haven't been much of a guy for following the minor leagues. I trust the better, better analysis at BaseballHQ.com with our daily call-ups reports and organizational reports, and I kind of just tend to trust that kind of stuff. But I'm curious what you think about when players move quickly through the minors, move up levels quickly through the minors. When we were talking about Tatis in our National League report, we're talking about Barreto now. Uh, Tatis is rushed through and struggles at each new level before he gets uh, gets his feet under him, as you said. Uh, Barreto struggled as he moved up and especially as he got to the major leagues they they just may have moved him too quickly but sometimes the prospect analysts the experts say you need to watch for these guys who are moving through the minors quickly because those are the guys who are most likely to succeed is there some way we can figure out whether a guy's moving fast enough too fast not fast enough 
Well, I, I, yeah, it, 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 you really almost have to watch it in season because like we talked about Tatis, he really struggled at, at the beginning of, of pretty much every promotion he's had when he's been, promo, when, when he's been kicked up a level. Um, maybe the struggles last for three weeks, five weeks, six weeks. He always turns it around, or he has always turned around, which gives me some hope for him at the major league level this year. Beretta was a little different. Uh, he, he was promoted very, very quickly like Morales, but if you look at the difference between his strikeouts and walks, his, his plate skills pretty much disappeared on an ongoing basis as he got into double-A AA and triple-A. Um, he's now had several years of triple-A experience, and uh, his plate skills are finally just starting to catch up with his power right now. So those are the things I look at. You really have to go in and look at the detailed metrics uh, to figure out who's gonna, who might make it quickly and who might not. All about the plate discipline and putting the bat on the ball. Uh, what about Lazardo? His injury, he's got uh, some likely value in the future, but when is that going to happen? I know you're not a fan of the A's rotation, and this looks like it could, re- could really impact not only Lazardo, but the whole, the whole Oakland pitching situation. Yeah, and my in fact my take right now is that Lazardo is their best pitcher, and this this really gives them problems because this isn't a, isn't a good rotation. The injury itself isn't the worst news you could have. I mean, there have been pitchers that have overcome rotator cuff tendonitis as long as they're handled correctly. Um, on the other hand, uh, the the problem Oakland has now is that I, I thought Lazardo was going to be in the rotation very quickly, if not from opening day, um, shortly after his. Uh, his uh, uh, Oakland secured the the that extra extra year of service time. Um, now he's not going to be in the rotation probably till June at the very earliest, and I'm not sure this rotation can last that long. And and there's there's also a ripple effect here. You're going to have the bullpen in a lot of games. You're going to wear them out early. Um, Blake. Blake Trinan owners, uh, if, if you think he's going to get 40 saves, you're probably going to be disappointed because as he was in the in the second game in Japan, he was used in a multi-inning situation where there was a tie game and, and Oakland was hoping the bats would win it in the late innings. The guy I like right now is Lou Trevino. And, and, and this is a guy that if you're looking down the road and if, and if the A's rotation is as bad as I think it is um, and they fall out of the race, they're going to be putting Blake Trinan on the block, in my opinion. Um, this is a closer who uh, he's going to be in demand. Everybody, all relievers are in demand by by contenders late in the season. He's arbitration eligible. And Trevino is the most likely guy to take over his role. So if you're looking down the road and you want to read tea leaves, um, this is a guy I would be chasing in deeper leagues right now. Meanwhile, we talked about Morales coming to Oakland. He also leaves Toronto, and this is something that uh, we were a little surprised that they were able to accomplish before opening day. As a coming free agent, you mentioned uh, obviously Toronto would have eventually tried to trade him for something because they're going nowhere fast, Uh, but they got rid of him before opening day, which is probably a plus for them. Matt Dodge wrote this up for Playing Time Today at BaseballHQ.com, and Matt notes that Rowdy Tellez will take Toronto's roster spot that was being occupied by Morales and likely acquire some playing time as a result. How does all this impact the Blue Jays? I think this is great for the Blue Jays. Seems like a real opportunity for for Tellez, who had a fine uh, major league debut last September, and he's carried it over into spring training. As Matt noted, uh, five home runs, 908 OPS in 50 at bats. Um, that's that's pretty decent production. Um, it seems like Tellez is n- now going to share some of the DH first base at bats with Justin Smoke going forward. Though it's important to note that Smoke also is a projected 2020 free agent. So. 
Toronto will probably be trying to see if they can create early trade value by giving him at bats. So not sure how much smoke owners have to worry about early on. Um, but but clearing out that DH spot helps Toronto across the board. They've got out, uh, an outfielder combo in left field and Teoscar Hernandez and Billy McKinney. These are guys whose, whose time has come to show what they can do. Um, Hernandez, obviously big power upside, big batting average downside, 26 years old. It, it might be make or break for him. McKinney is a left-handed bat, a little younger, uh, a little better defense, maybe a little higher batting average, but less power. Um, but they now have another playing time outlet. Yeah, when I look at this situation, the guy that is intriguing to me in both the good sense of the term and the bad is Alfred. Uh, we've been told in years past, you know, this is going to be the year for Anthony Alfred. He's a former football player who took to baseball late. He's got really stunning speed, and he, he did have the big spring this year. But uh, so often, Jock, guys will have a big spring and then just vanish when the when the chips are on the line. Yeah, Anthony Alfred had a had a, a a very big big spring. Reportedly, I didn't see him. He was in Florida, obviously. Um, um, but Scout said he looked better than McKinney or Tiasca or any of the Blue Jay young outfielders. And this is a guy, another guy who has extremely uh, an extreme high amount of athleticism. Um, and the Blue Jays, of course, still have our eligible Kevin Pillar in center field, and and they may be trying to put him on the block as well. Um, I like Alfred because of the athleticism. He's still pretty young. Apparently, he spent the winter rededicating himself and tweaking his swing. Um, I'm kind of excited about to see him, too. I, I'm not sure we're going to see him for a couple of months. Uh, it'll all depend on injuries. But um, he also could find a way to, to pry open some, some, uh, some playing time out of this as well. And I know it's an extremely small sample, uh, only about 40 plate appearances in spring training, but he did draw four walks, which is something that they've been kind of leaning on him to do because he was putting himself out so many times swinging at bad pitches. And instead, he draws four walks uh, in 40 plate appearances, a 10% walk rate. If he could carry that over, boy, now you're really onto something. He did also strike out 11 times, which is kind of worrisome, but lower than his previous uh, years as well. Uh, four home runs, two stolen bases. Boy, when you prorate those kind of numbers from spring training into a full major league season, all of a sudden you're looking at a $20 player. The danger is how confident can you be prorating spring training statistics into a full season at the big league level? Yeah, and, and in fact, I think the only thing we know for certain is that if he plays well in AAA, he's going to get an opportunity in Toronto, and I think that's all you can ask for right now. Yeah, not a bad guy to stash, especially as you say, they have some options as far as trading guys out who are at the end of their uh, contracts in Toronto. Uh, back to Anaheim, your neck of the woods, Justin Upton was a last-minute add to the injured list for the Angels, and you've said repeatedly this spring the Angels do not have a lot of depth at the major league level. Uh, how long is Upton going to be out of the lineup, and who's going to get his plate appearances while he's out? Well, before last night, I thought it was going to be Peter Borges, who's had a decent spring. But Borges is a is a journeyman, um, 32 years old. He actually started with the Angels a long time ago, and he had his best year there, his uh, his rookie season. Um, uh, basically, uh, what we found out later was that Upton has turf toe, so he should be out by mid. He should be out until like mid-April. It's not a serious. Uh, it's not a serious injury. But what happened last night was the uh, the Angels picked up. Uh, uh, Brian Goodwin, who was released by Kansas City, and this is a guy who we liked two or three years ago. Um, he has a lot of skills, uh, speed, power skills. His biggest problem is contra contact and injury issues that just don't seem to go away. He'd been released by the Royals. 
Um, but as a younger left-handed bat with with some speed and average pop, he could have an edge with, uh, over Borges. I just wouldn't be chasing either of them right now, given the short term that that Upton's expected to be out. And I have to point out, I drafted Jordan Adele of the Angels, an outfielder, and with the expectation that something might happen to provide some playing time. Of course, he's hurt. Uh, how soon might he be back? It'll probably be after, uh, almost certainly be after Upton's return, right? Yeah, they don't expect Jordan Adele to be to step back on the field until early June. And, and I also, after watching him in spring training, thought that Adele could, could maybe make a, a a surprising major league appearance this year but uh, now with just three months to his minor league season and 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 Mike Trout sound longer signed longer term it, it the short-term exigency to bring him up just doesn't seem that urgent anymore I, I I would almost be surprised if he came up at any time before September and I'm thinking we might see him in in the Arizona Fall League before we see him in Anaheim Meanwhile, as before, we talked about Morales and his impact on the team where he's arriving. There's also an impact on the team he's leaving. The same is true of Brian Goodwin. How does Brian Goodwin's departure from Kansas City affect things for the Royals? Well, the Royals called up uh, first baseman Lucas Duda from um, uh, AAA. They they bought the minor league contract. They signed him to. Um, he's 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 going to replace Goodwin on the roster. He's an older, uh, 33-year-old power first left-handed hitter who can still hit right-handers. I was a little bit surprised uh, given the years that he's had recently, which have been way up and down. His batting average is a risk. He's going to get some DH at bats versus righties and, and push Jorge Solar into right field, which is a real problem for the Royals right now. Obviously, they didn't like Goodwin there, and they don't have a lot of production going on in, in right. I could see Duda providing some pop here in, say, 300, 400 at bats with with the disclaimer that, that like Toronto, Kansas City's a rebuilder, and given Duda's batting average issues and age he's always a, a bet to lose his job at some point as well you gotta like that split versus right-handers though i looked into it he has an 840 ops against right-handed hitters it's 200 points better than what he does against left-handers but uh, the royals are going to have to be one of those teams that plays all of the edges they can get including platoon splits yeah that's right and uh, and 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 good good note on uh, on Duda's splits uh, it looks like he can still be product productive against righties who obviously make up the majority of the starting and and even bullpen pitchers uh, in baseball these days and finally the Angels made another move that seems surprising they acquired pitcher Chris Stratton from San Francisco and they put him straight into the rotation at the number five slot and demoted uh, Jaime Berea what's going on there I thought Berea was looking pretty good you know, on the surface, Berea had a fine 2018. It was his rookie season. He came out of nowhere. He posted a 3.41 ERA, and he grabbed 10 wins in 129 innings. You, you really couldn't ask for more from a rookie. But if you look at the underlying metrics, it also says he was the most fortunate pitchers in the game, and particularly in the second half. I'm pretty sure the Angels saw this, too, and also Berea's inexperience. This is another guy that was rushed through the, through the minors. Uh, he's 22 years old. He didn't get a lot of high minors time. But um, you're right. He was still he was healthy, which is more than you can say for half the the Anaheim rotation. So this was something of a surprise. As with Stratton's acquisition, if you look what he did last year, um, a 5.09 ERA and a 4.59 expected ERA and 145 innings for San Francisco, and there was very little glimmer of skills hope there. So apparently he's going to replace Berea in the uh, in the rotation this year. It makes you think that the Angels are now playing for 2020 and not 2021. It's a kind of an interesting situation. 
Yeah, when I saw that, uh, the acquisition, of course, when you see a guy coming over from another league that you're not familiar with, first thing I do is I go to the player page at uh, BaseballHQ.com, and I have to say, Chris Stratton's historical record in San Francisco is not the stuff of which dreams are made. You know, he pitched to a pretty good ERAs in 2016 and 2017 with San Francisco in somewhat limited playing time, like a total of about 70 innings, but his expected ERAs were up around six, and we know that over time, especially if you get a lot of starts, a lot of innings, the chance that you're going to be able to maintain a low ERA when it's competing with a high expected ERA are not that good. Yeah, you're right. And uh, it, neither of these pitchers projected particularly well this year. But uh, I, I think I said before, it makes you think that LAA, the, the, the Angels are playing for 2020 and not 2021. I meant, I meant 2019. Um, but the, the calculus, uh, Mike Trout's Becoming an angel life, I think, really changes the calculus for the angels here. They don't have the urgency to win right now in 2019 or or, or even 2020 for that matter. They really want to focus on this rebuild so they can they can put a team around Mike Trout. And I think given giving Berea another year of or another half year anyway of AAA experience uh, probably isn't a bad idea here. It just doesn't help anybody fanalytically. In the meantime, in case any listeners misunderstanding what we're saying, uh, don't sign Chris Stratton. Yeah, exactly. In fact, uh, keep your keep your uh, hitters uh, streamed and active uh, against the Angel pitching staff until further notice. That's a great point as well. Uh, Jock, thanks a million for helping us out with the American League and earlier with the National League while Nick takes a week off. I do appreciate your hard work, and we'll talk to you again in a week's time. Okay, PD, see ya. Jock Thompson is Baseball HQ's Director of News and Analysis, our regular man on the American League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio, and as I said, doing double duty this week, covering the National League as well. When we return our Baseball HQ commentaries, we have the frequent flyer and master notes coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Right now, though, time in the show when I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In Playing Time Tomorrow, analyst Brian Slack covers teams and rosters from all the teams in the National League West, including that Arizona closer situation that Jock and I discussed, as well as the San Francisco catcher situation and the Padres rotation. In the rotisserie gaming column, I have a study of which pitchers have the advantages or disadvantages based on the strengths of the opposing offenses within their divisions. And in Facts and Flukes, analyst Brian Rudd assesses performance metrics for five players, including San Francisco shortstop Brandon Crawford, Cubs relief pitcher Pedro Strope, and Washington outfielder Bryce, is it Hooper? Hamper? Well, anyway, whoever he is, Brian thinks he's pretty good, so make sure you check that out. And those are just three articles among literally dozens, a small sampling of all the great content you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time. Player performance validation in facts and flukes, news updates in playing time today, roster forecasting in playing time tomorrow. We have buyer's guides for hitters and starters and relievers. There's fantasy market analysis, injury analysis, and all the tools you can use on a daily basis like the player projections, daily dashboards, leading indicators, all the great content and tools you can use to improve improve your teams, and win your leagues. And they're why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. 
Time now for our regular HQ radio commentaries. Coming up, we have Master Notes, and leading off, it's the Frequent Flyer, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer because they could be available in your free agent pool and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's Frequent Flyer is Miami starting pitcher Tehran Guerrero. And here to tell you more, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. Remember when your parents told you stories about walking to school through rain, snow, and sleet, uphill both ways? Well, what if you grew up in a beachfront town so remote that it's been called the village that tourism forgot? Back in 2017, the Miami Herald's Clark Spencer detailed how a 10-year-old, Tehran Guerrero, fell in love with the game of baseball. To play and improve, Spencer wrote, Guerrero had to cross over to the Colombian mainland in a single-engine boat and then, as if that wasn't hard enough, walked two hours through snake-infested jungle just to get back home at night. Wow, the road to the majors isn't always easy, especially in Tehran Guerrero's native Isla Tierra Bomba, where there are reportedly no paved roads or bridges as hometown of Boca Chica. That's why Tehran Guerrero, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, and perhaps one of our greatest long shots, or at least one of our greatest stories, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league. But Tehran Guerrero's arrival in the big leagues isn't necessarily the end of the story, perhaps it's only the beginning. Did we mention that Tehran Guerrero was one of only three pitchers to throw 104 miles per hour or higher in 2018? The other two? No surprise here, Jordan Hicks and Aroldis Chapman. But this may surprise you. We at BaseballHQ.com are projecting virtually identical command and control numbers for Tehran Guerrero and Jordan Hicks in 2019. More specifically, we're projecting a command ratio of 1.6 strikeouts to walks for both Tehran Guerrero and Jordan Hicks, and a control rate of 5.3 walks per nine for Tehran Guerrero versus 5.2 walks per nine for Jordan Hicks. Why is that so surprising? Maybe because of Tehran Guerrero's 543 ERA and 60 appearances at the major league level in 2018. For comparison, Jordan Hicks sported a 3.59 ERA in 73 games for the Cardinals in 2018. Perhaps the biggest difference, besides a glaring two-earned runs, is that Jordan Hicks is an extreme ground ball pitcher. According to BaseballHQ.com, Jordan Hicks has a projected ground ball rate of 61% for 2019. Well... Maybe the biggest difference, besides the glaring two-word runs and the 61% ground ball rate for Jordan Hicks, ultimately comes down to availability. Tehran Guerrero might still be available in your league, whereas Jordan Hicks and, of course, Aroldis Chapman are likely long gone. So here's a little Miami advice for 2019. Grab Miami Marlins reliever Tehran Guerrero right now as our frequent flyer for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has our frequent flyer comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for Master Notes, my weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. And this week, I want to talk about, whew, that was close. That blast of wind you might have held coming out of the north on Wednesday morning was not a polar vortex or some other global climate event. It was just me heaving a sigh of relief at the news that Jose Ramirez is okay and will start the year on Cleveland's active roster. 
You might have missed the news if your monastery's satellite TV was out of commission, but Ramirez, who is one of the finest fantasy baseball hitters this side of Mike Trout, was hurt in a freak injury on Sunday. He was at the circus when he was bitten by the two-headed monkey. Ah, that's just a corny old joke from my childhood. Never mind, but the injury was freakish. Ramirez fouled a ball weirdly straight down and into his left knee. He fell to the ground making an awkward twist like a battlefield extra in Saving Private Ryan. He was taken off the field on one of those carts that always seem to arrive on the field about as promptly as a City of London bus. And for those who haven't enjoyed the pleasure of London's transit system, not all that prompt. My immediate concern, like zillions of other fantasy players, was that I own Ramirez in two of the three leagues I'm playing this year. If Ramirez were out for months, I'd be toast before opening day, a good two weeks earlier than usual. In the immediate aftermath of the event, the baseball media sprang into action with the usual mix of reportage, 84.7892% rampant uninformed speculation, 13.5585% rampant slightly informed speculation, 1.6522% informed analysis, and 0.001% facts. And yes, smarty pants, all those numbers add up to 100%. I confess there might be an issue with significant digits, likely the only significant issue in this entire report. Anyhow, the diagnosis was a contusion, which is what your doctor calls a bruise when he needs to pay for a new yacht. Ramirez's knees were actually in way better shape than mine, partly because I spent most of my adolescence playing contact sports, and mostly because I spent the last two days on my knees praying for Ramirez's recovery. Well, my prayers were answered which made me think right away that I should have prayed for my numbers in this week's Lotto Max. Cleveland sent Ramirez for some workouts and assessment in Phoenix, and it went so well that manager Terry Francona announced Ramirez would be with the team for a Wednesday workout in Minneapolis, and he was in the lineup when the team opened its 2019 season against the Twins. I believe I can speak with confidence on behalf of all Jose Ramirez owners when I say, Phew, that was close. The Ramirez news put me in mind of some other freakish spring training injuries, which naturally came to my educated mind after some concentrated thinking, some focused breathing, and a Google search of freakish spring training injuries. In 1978, Milwaukee catcher Ray Fossey, who had a number of weird injuries in his career, was chasing a fly ball up the first base line. He stepped into a hole and tore a knee ligament. He missed the entire 78 season. In 1994, knuckleballer Steve Sparks took himself out of the Milwaukee rotation when he tried to emulate some motivational speakers who had been brought into the training room by tearing a phone book in half. He popped his left shoulder right out of its socket. In 1997, Robin Ventura slid aggressively into home. His cleats caught on the side of the plate, he broke his ankle, and he missed four months. In 2015, Toronto outfielder Michael Saunders was chasing a fly ball when he stepped on a sprinkler, tearing the meniscus of his left knee. He was out of action till after the All-Star break. Also in 2015, then White Sox pitcher Chris Sale broke his right foot, jumping out of his pickup truck. He was unloading stuff as part of a move. You'd think he could afford two men and a truck. Actually, he could afford 60 men and a fleet of semi-trailers. What's he doing moving himself and jumping out of pickup trucks? And this year, Dodgers reliever Joe Kelly hurt his back, cooking a Cajun feast for his new teammates in Los Angeles. This spring has also seen its share of some serious injuries. Ramirez's teammate Francisco Lindor hurt his calf early on. Now he's got an ankle problem. He wasn't back by opening day. Scooter Jeanette lost his footing fielding a ground ball in short right field. He strained his right groin, and he'll be out two to three months.
and the cruel vagaries of fate really colluded against Arizona outfielder Steven Souza Jr. On Monday night, Souza slipped awkwardly while crossing home plate, and when his left leg jammed into the ground, the force tore three of his knee ligaments. Unlike Jose Ramirez, this injury was extremely dire, and he'll be out for the year. Souza's fantasy owners must have been asking themselves questions like, shouldn't OSHA be looking into some kind of home plate safety regulations? And what are the odds a diamondback hitter was going to even cross home plate this year? Luckily, there's a bright side after Souza's injury. The Diamondbacks announced that Adam Jones would be taking over as the everyday right fielder. And guess who drafted Adam Jones late in the draft? Hey, I never said it was a bright side for everybody, but oh yes, my prayers were answered again. So, if you'll excuse me, I should get over to the chapel. Or maybe the lottery kiosk. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes columnist at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox in the weekly free Baseball HQ e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. You can also read Master Notes for free at the Baseball HQ website. And of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 29th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 15 of the 2019 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Jock Thompson and Jock Thompson. And our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt, your Master Notes commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also follow me on my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to iTunes or Stitcher or Pocket Cast, wherever you get your pods, and leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and rating. It really does help us find new listeners, and that helps us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next Friday with a Friday full edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio, and so long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators, or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.